Welcome to this Summer Sabbath Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Danny. And I'm Connie. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Now hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? It says, the word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus and is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the one who believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson for today is taken from Matthew's gospel, Matthew 14 verses 22 through 33. Listen again with fresh ears. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid." Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, 
He became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the story goes that Mark Twain took his wife on a trip to the Holy Land. And while they were there, they wanted to take a romantic boat trip on the Sea of Galilee. And Twain goes to talk to one of the boat operators and said, how much does it cost for us to go take your boat out on to the Sea of Galilee? And the boat operator kind of looks Twain up and down, sees his white hat, his white suit, and his white shoes, assumes him to be a rich American from Texas, and says, $25. Now, remember, Twain lived in the mid to late 1800s and early 1900s, so this was a lot of money. Twain kind of scoffs and turns away and says, now I know why Jesus walked. <laughs> but it would be kind of neat to be able to walk on water, wouldn't it? Go to friends' parties, pool parties. You could be fishing at the lake. You catch something. You can go to the fish and not have to reel it in. That's pretty neat. Well, it's a good thing I'm here for you, friends. There is a way that you can walk on water, a tangible way. Let me tell you about it. A year ago, October 11th, a company out of Brooklyn called MSCHF, that is mischief without the vowels, they are a countercultural media production company, and they thought to themselves, what would be the most ridiculous pairing of a celebrity and a shoe. We all know that many celebrities, especially athletes, have their own make and model of shoes from different companies. And they thought to the extreme, what would be the most ridiculous? And they thought, hmm, Jesus. So they made the Jesus shoe. What, what does that comprise of? Well, first of all, they sent to the River Jordan and got water from the River Jordan where Jesus was baptized and sent it home to Brooklyn. And then they had a priest pray over it to make it then holy water from the Jordan. Hey, bring that water over here. Yeah, bada bing, you're holy, go on. So they take that water and they inject it about 60 cc's into the air pockets of the shoe. So literally you are walking on water, holy water from the Jordan. You don't believe me, do you? So there it is. You see the shoe there. You see that blue area underneath. It's where they inject the water in. If you look to the front side toe, inscribed on that, they have Matthew 25. That is this verse that we're in, which that passage is the part that says Jesus came to them walking on the sea. If you look up to the laces, you will see what looks like a little charm, and it's a crucifix. It's a little gold crucifix that sits on the laces, and this is the Jesus shoe. So they took, how did that come to be? They took a basic pair of 
Nike Air Max 97s, $160. And again, they injected the holy water, they imprinted the verse, they put the charm, the crucifix on there. I even heard that the insole is red for the blood of Christ, but we can't see that. So what did they charge for this? Those $160 shoes originally now are $1,425. Only 20 pairs were made. This was not mass produced. Again, it's almost more of a joke, a media joke than it was anything else. But in the first minute, last October 11th, they sold out. One minute, all 20 pairs gone. And several of those folks then went online and sold these shoes for $4,000, $3,000, and the like. And we know that the rapper Drake has a pair because he took a picture of himself wearing the Jesus shoes. Now, that is one way to walk on water. I wonder, I bet Peter might have thought it better to have that pair than he wouldn't have had to have gone out. But Peter had the better way. He was in the presence of Christ. So as we get into the story, Vicki set the scene for you. Last week, we had the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. <clears> and if you remember, Jesus tried to get away because they were reeling from the death of John the Baptist. He and his disciples, they were grieving. Jesus went to a deserted place and all the people followed him and he healed them and he wound up teaching them. And then they had to feed them. That was last week, feeding of the five or more likely the 10,000. But Jesus still hadn't had a chance to get away. So in our story today, Jesus is now through teaching and preaching in this other place, immediately following what he had just done with the feeding of the 5,000 and sends the disciples in the boat on ahead. Y'all go. I will catch up with you across the sea at another time tomorrow morning. I'm going to stay to dismiss the crowds. So Jesus does that. Good to see you. Nice sermon, preacher. Nice sermon. Nice sermon. Good, good, good. So he dismisses the crowds and now he goes up the mountain to pray and to have time with God. And the first thing I, I want us to remember is that prayer is basic Christian 101, but we often are taxed to find regular time to be in God's presence and to pray with our open hearts and lives. Yes, things that we want and, and are um, praying for people, situations, the world, but it's also a time to be in God's presence, to sit in God's presence. You can pray in silence. You can do it in a variety of ways. But later on, when Jesus comes walking to them, Jesus doesn't stop, as we are told, to say, Lord, give me the strength to walk on the water. He doesn't say, Lord, give me a path through this, this wind and these waves. Lord, hold that boat so I can get a little closer to it. Lord, be with those disciples, help them to know it's me. He doesn't pray in the middle of his miracle. For Jesus, because he spends so much time with God, the fact that he prayed with God before means that in this tumultuous situation, he was ready. He was synced with God. And I hope that we pray before, during, and after everything in all time. But I'm convinced that the more time we spend with God, 
the more easily we recognize Christ when we find ourselves in difficult environments, situations, and tragedies, just like these disciples were. So that's number one. Continue to pray. Practice their all kinds of information out there about prayer and different ways to do it, but spend time with God in difficult times and in calm times. Again, the more better you will be prepared and likely to recognize that Christ is with you both in calm and difficult settings. So Jesus finally has time to go and pray and grieve and be with God. Meanwhile, the disciples are on the boat and the wind whips up. Sea of Galilee was notorious for instant and deadly storms. Now, the fishermen would have been used to this, Peter among them. Our passage doesn't say that they feared the storm. We're not told till they're afraid till what? Till they see a figure walking to them in the midst of it. And they look and they think it's a ghost. I don't know how far away Jesus was from them, but if he was closer, they would have been able to notice it was him, see his facial features. So it must have been farther out at this point, just an apparition on the water. I understand they might have thought it was a ghost. But right away, immediately, Jesus says, no, no, don't let your hearts be troubled. It is I. Calm down. Do not be afraid. And it's interesting that when Jesus says, it is I, he uses the same phrase from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible or our Old Testament, that when God tells Moses at the burning bush, God's name, so if you remember, Moses says, okay, I do all this with Pharaoh, who do I tell them sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. Jesus uses this same phrase to say, it is I, the divine I, as if to say, the divine I is now with you. I am conquering this. I am walking through the storm. Believe what I say, that I am who I say I am. So Jesus comes, it's a ghost. No, it's okay, it's just me. And so we, we see, I guess, Jesus continues to walk as the boat continues to bob. And then Peter, Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you and walk on the water and I'll, I'll do it. And Jesus says, come. Now let's think about this for a second. Do you think Peter had questions about what was happening, about what was getting ready to happen, and about how this whole small event would end up? Of course he did. He had unanswered questions. Well, from one, from being around Jesus, imagine all of his teachings, all that they had seen, all the questions swirling around in their mind. Did unanswered questions keep Peter from stepping out to be with Christ? No. Did Peter think, before I can commit myself to this being Christ and literally giving my life to him in a physical, spiritual, and mental in every way, I have, wait, Jesus, before I come, I have a list of 10 questions I have to ask you that I need answered before I can give myself to you. What is the nature of sin? What does the salvation mean? What is heaven like? 
What is predestination? What is the dogma that we should have? What are the doctrines that we should be developing as your followers? Of course not. Of course not. Peter is moved by the presence of Christ and he takes all of those unanswered questions and his little bit of faith and he steps out. Now later, after he sinks and takes his eyes off of Christ, sinks in the water, Jesus pulls him out and says, oh, ye of little faith, Peter. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that Peter should have recognized that Christ was Christ before he stepped out of the boat. He had heard Christ speak. He had seen him physically and saw him doing a miracle. Who else could this be? So I think when Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith, it, it is because he took his eyes off of Christ and sunk, but it's also because he should have known that that was Christ in the first place. And so often we don't realize that it is Christ standing right in front of us. But Jesus also says, ye have little faith, which means he has at least a little bit of faith. So Peter musters all those unanswered questions. What's going to happen? What about this? How do I know this? What's going to, what, what about it? He takes his little bit of mustard seed faith and he steps out. And he does it with his unanswered questions, all that swirling around. And then, of course, he begins to sink and Christ reaches him up and he cries out, save me. Those unanswered questions so often keep us from stepping to be in the presence of Christ. How many times and how many people do we find ourselves in places where Excuse me, unanswered questions are used as a defensive tool from placing ourselves in the presence of Christ. Well, I can't finally give myself to Christ because I don't know X, Y, or Z. Or because I don't have the answer to this question, therefore I'm just going to stay back. Or none of that's true because we don't have all the answers. Questions are a part of our Christian faith and our growth, and it is meant to stimulate, and gifts are, uh, uh, questions are gifts to us. But when we use them defensively, it can be a cop-out. Oh, no, I'm not going to do faith because I know then stuff's going to be expected of me. I have to do things. So I will put the wall of questions in front of me. I don't want to be perceived a fool because there are things that I can't prove 100%. So there will be no faith for me, thank you. Jerry Kramer is a former offensive lineman with the Green Bay Packers. He played under legendary coach Vince Lombardi. He's written a couple of books, and in one called Distant Replay, he talks about the death of his father. He writes, I think my father's death was more difficult for the family than it was even for my father. My dad was a very faithful and religious man and was ready to go. He had his faith and he said he was locked in the arms of Christ. Then Kramer goes on to say, sometimes I wish I had that kind of faith and then continues, but I don't, I just have questions. And how sad and tragic 
that you cut yourself off from Christ because you have questions? All of us have questions, friends. All of us. Now, there are things that we know through science and scholarly uh, pursuits, language, archaeology, science, that we can stand on. Then there are hypotheses that we make in uh, uh, educated guesses. Then there are guesses that we just we say, well, probably because of the culture, may, well, maybe. And then things that we don't have a clue. God calls it faith, not knowledge. God calls this a journey of faith, not a journey of knowledge. If we knew everything, it would be knowledge, not faith. And God has designed this journey to give us just enough, just as he gave Peter, just as he gave um, all the the disciples last week in feeding of the 5,000, which he got just a little bit that somebody gave. And they fed the multitude. This week, it's just a little bit of faith that Peter has that causes him to step out and to be in the presence of Christ despite the harsh surroundings. We cannot let unanswered questions keep us from being people of faith. It's designed for us not to know everything, but to know enough. A theologian once said, it's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that trouble me, it's the things that I do understand. John C. Wright is a former lawyer, award-winning science fiction writer, and fashions himself a scientist. At one time, he was also a committed atheist. But one day, in the middle of wrestling with questions and doubts, he prayed an honest prayer. And I love this. Listen. He prayed, "Um, Dear God, I know that you do not exist. Nonetheless, as a scholar... I am forced to entertain the hypothetical possibility that I am mistaken. Now that's an honest prayer, isn't it? Then he went on to ask God to reveal himself in some way. What what are you going to lose in that case? If nothing ever happens, well, nobody knows. There's no sweat, nothing lost at that point. And if God responds, well, then the world opens up. And Wright responds that in this case, he says... Something from beyond the reach of time and space, more fundamental than reality, reached across the universe and broke into my soul and changed me. I was altered down to the root of my being. It was like falling in love. That's beautiful. Beautiful. He took his little bit of faith and all his unanswered questions, and it was enough Now, I know, friends, sometimes we ask for God's responses and we don't feel it as he did. But in this case, God did respond and God responds to all of us, but it's often just like Peter, Christ is standing in front of us and we don't recognize it. So bring your unanswered questions to God, but don't just let them remain unanswered. In order for questions to be productive, It means that we start thinking and we start praying and we start working. We seek the answers. We seek others who are also asking questions. It amazes me of all, so many churches call themselves seeker churches, which means you have questions when you come, but then when you get there, if you ask questions and show some kind of doubt, then you are ostracized or looked down on. 
We're all seekers because we all have questions. Find a church family where you can safely ask questions. Find people that you can have conversations with. And there'll be different responses and different understandings. That's the joy of this journey and a faith community. Come with your unanswered questions and even your little bit of faith. And miraculous things will happen. And finally... In the midst of that storm and any storm, they intentionally saw and looked for Christ. There's a story from a a speaker, Palmer Chinchin, tells of going rafting, whitewater rafting on the Zambezi in Zimbabwe with his brothers. Now the guide, now The Victoria Falls, the biggest waterfall in the world, feeds the Zambezi. It's a huge environment. The guide, their rafting guide, said, now when you turn over, when your raft turns over, not if, but when, stay in the rapids. What? Because I've always been taught that when you're In the rapids, you're trying to then find some calm water so you can reset yourself, find your your boat, whatever. You get through the rapids, you get some calm water. No, he says, stay in the rapids. Why? Because the deceptively calm places on either side of those rapids are filled with hippopotamuses and crocodiles. That's where they hang out. So while we can be lured to false safety in what we think are calm places, Just as he told them to stay in the rapids, when we are in the rapids, we need to look and physically seek the presence of Christ. The rest of the disciples were just kind of holding on in the boat, watching what was happening. But Peter said, I'm coming to you. You are there. I see you now. Jesus, it's you. I want to be where you are, and I'm not worried about the rest. And he goes to them. So in the midst of our rapids, in the midst of our trials and tribulations, friends, seek him. He is there. Finally, there's a story about a house that caught on fire. And the young son went upstairs to the roof and the father went down out the front door on the first floor thinking his son was right behind him. To his horror, he hears his son screaming off, the second story roof and says, dad, dad, I can't get down. And he says, jump to me, I will catch you. And the son couldn't see because of the flames and the smoke pouring out of the second story windows right where he would have to jump through. He can't see the ground. And his father says, I can, I can catch you. You jump, I will catch you. And the son says, well, daddy, I can't see you. And the father says, but I can see you, now jump. And he did, and he called him, even though the son didn't know or couldn't see. And in the same way, in difficult moments, in the rapids, in these storms, Christ is with us when we can sense it and even not. So remember, friends, to be in prayer with God all the time so that we can be fed, that we can grow, and in moments of difficulty, we'll be in a better place 
to see and recognize the presence of Christ. Take those unanswered questions and your little bit of faith, it is enough. And place yourself in the presence of the Christ who is seeking to be with you. And finally, in the midst of difficulty and trials and tribulations, seek the presence of Christ. For he is seeking you to pull you out of that water as he did Peter. Hallelujah. Amen.